Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, this is Andy, and before we get into the meat of the show, where Nicole Auerbach and I break down a just bonkers Saturday in college football, I'm coming to you with a little extra because I want you to know, we don't go to bed till the games are over. We signed off the show. There was a little bit left of, of BYU and Baylor, a little bit left of Fresno State and Oregon State, a little bit left of Mississippi State and Arizona. And look, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Mississippi State and Arizona still playing in Tucson at 2.27 a.m. on the East Coast. But Mississippi State's up 15, feeling fairly comfortable, nine minutes to go. I tell you what, if the Wildcats come back and win this thing, I'll record another new intro. But this was just one of those days that never stopped being awesome. It started with Alabama and Texas, a much, much better game than we ever expected or that we ever deserved, and then just went crazy from there on out, ending tonight with BYU beating Baylor in double overtime you had three consecutive missed field goals that led you to the overtime period, and it just never, ever stopped. But finally, BYU wins the game. The fans are storming the field. Kalani Sataki, basically speechless. It was incredible. But probably not as incredible as the finish in Fresno. Oregon State and Fresno State. So Oregon State drives and scores a touchdown and takes the lead with a minute 50 to go. That's too much time. Fresno State takes the ball, goes 75 yards in 45 seconds. They score with a minute five on the clock. They miss the extra point, so they're only up three. Too much time. The Beavers get the ball back. They maneuver down the field. You think they're going to kick a field goal, but there's a pass interference call in the end zone. All of a sudden, it's first and goal from the two with three seconds left. And what do they do? They run a play. Jack Coletto, two-yard touchdown run. And the Beavers win it. It's unbelievable. This is everything we could have wanted in a college football Saturday. We got. We got upsets. We got crazy results. We got... Alabama being pushed to the limit. We got Notre Dame losing at home. We got Appalachian State beating Texas A&M. The Sun Belt was just incredible. The whole day. Best sport ever. One of the best days ever in the best sport ever. We've wrapped it up. We've put a bow on it in the wee hours. But again, I'll come back if Arizona wins. I promise. If you don't hear from me, it means Mississippi State won. Here's me and Nicole trying to make sense of a wild, wild day in college football. Alabama, Texas feels like it was five months ago. Yeah, that was that was earlier today, which is wild. I woke up today thinking that Baylor BYU might be the only good game that we get on this <laughs> week two. And it was a bananas day. I tweeted about this, but there were so many staggered start times. So it just felt all day like you were just going from one crazy thing into the next crazy thing into the next crazy thing, which actually was how the day went. But like all the finishes were a little bit different, a little bit staggered. So I just feel like that that created this idea and this feeling that something crazy was happening somewhere in the country at any given moment throughout the day on Saturday, which actually is basically a good summation of what happened. I I mean, I had to make a list just to make sure I I remembered everything. And I still probably left some things out, but let's, let's just go down the list now before we, we, we really get into meaty discussions of each topic, but Appalachian state beats Texas A&M. 
Marshall beats Notre Dame, and Marcus Freeman is now 0-3 to start his coaching tenure at Notre Dame. Alabama survived Texas. Washington State beat Wisconsin. Iowa State beat Iowa 10-7 in the under hit. Woohoo! Under. Oh, by the way, that Alabama surviving Texas. Yeah, they didn't cover, so now I have to chug mustard later this week. Nicole, you'll be with me and Ari when we do that. I I will, but... Yeah, I think you're secretly excited about that, but always bet the Iowa under. I can't even believe that they put some of these numbers with some of these Iowa games, but okay. What else? What else happened? Kansas wins on the road in Kansas. overtime in Morgantown. <laughs> Wait, they sure did. One and zero in Big Twelve play. Clay Helton, and remember, Clay Helton finished week two a year ago, getting smoked by Stanford and then getting fired by USC. He took Georgia Southern to Lincoln and won. That was maybe one of the wildest games in a wild day. The Sun Belt East, man, it's just a murderer's row. I seriously, seriously, wh- why would you schedule a Sun Belt team at this point? What what is North Carolina's like? I can't believe we went two and zero against Sun Belt teams. Like North, I, I, I'm tempted to vote North Carolina number one. Because they've gone on the road to Sunbelt places the last two weeks and won. Well, I mean, they're they're clearly... I mean, of course, they were already kind of exhaling about giving up 40 points in the fourth quarter to App State and surviving that? to tell the tale. But after, yeah, after what they just did to Nebraska, the likely final nail in the coffin for Scott Frost. I mean, that game was just otherworldly. 600-something yards of offense on Nebraska's defense. Just absolutely... Oh, crazy game. It was super back and forth. Very fun. But also, man, I mean, it's just like every single week, I just feel so bad for Nebraska fans. And it was just silent. The second that they scored oh. at the end, it was silent. I went back and rewatched it because I-, I covered the Florida-Kentucky game, which is another game we need to talk about because Kentucky has a win streak against Florida. Sure do. I uh, Most of my life, they didn't even win once against Florida. And now they've won twice in a row. Well, and and we're going to get into that further because obviously you're covering that game. But the way Kentucky won that game, too, I thought was really impressive. I mean, they were just awful on special teams. They were down early. It kind of felt like there were a couple moments where it could have gone south real quick. Um, Yeah, really remarkable. And I also felt for Anthony Richardson. He was so good a week ago. He was struggled so much against Kentucky. And it sounds like he put a lot of that blame on himself. So let's we'll get into that game further. But yeah, yeah that's there, not there, even the headliner. No, there are a couple game plays we'll talk about in that game that that it was just it changed everything. But what what is the headline? That's the question. Is it Appalachian State beating A and M? Is it Marshall beating Notre Dame? Is it? I mean, that's it for Scott Frost. But his buyout doesn't drop till October first. So I, I what do you do? You do you? I have to look at his contract because I know a lot of these guys' contracts say they have to serve as the head football coach or you have to pay them their, mm. their full buyout. Because couldn't you reassign him to be like a janitor for the next few weeks and then fire him when the buyout drops uh, unless his contract specifies otherwise? Here, so here, here is my question on Scott Frost. They're doing this, right? We know the buyout goes to seven and a half million dollars. Basically seven they, they're saving seven and a half million dollars. Correct. It drops in half this year. Yes. Is it worth seven and a half million dollars to make a change this week? Because your fan base uh, the is Big that Ten's upset. got a lot of TV money coming in, Nicole. <laughs> I feel like it is something to consider. I mean obviously if you didn't have this three weeks from now, we would have we would have probably already seen a change. But there's nothing moving in a positive direction there. And I'm not usually super a proponent of midseason changes, but I just can't see how you're supposed to go even three more weeks with Scott Frost oh, right I, now. It's just that, so toxic. You lose the same way every single time. And it's just, it's got to be so frustrating. I mean, th- this is an entire stadium that cheered. They cheered when the touchdown got taken off the off the scoreboard because it could help right. them run clock that didn't even run enough clock, didn't even allow them to win the game against Georgia Southern. I mean, that just must be so frustrating to be a Nebraska fan. Uh, more frustrating, Nebraska fan or an Iowa fan. We've got Vaughn in the in the live chat. 
How much longer can Iowa keep this up? Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, LeVar Woods, the special teams coordinator, and tight ends coach, who, I mean, that's that's a pretty good combo at Iowa, uh, deserve way more than this, the way they've operated defense, the way Woods is recruited. They're, he's not wrong. Like, okay, if you had to make a change tomorrow, what's the more pressing change that you would need to make? Scott Frost as the head coach at Nebraska or Brian Ferentz as the offensive coordinator at Iowa? Okay, I feel like they're very equal and it might be more frustrating to be an Iowa fan in this situation because you know that you can't ever make a change there, right? Like until Kirk Ferentz decides to retire, he's not going to fire his son. So Bobby Bowden fired his son and then he hired Jimbo Fisher. Like it can be done. Okay, well, it doesn't feel like it's going to be done. I think that in this situation, you have faith in Trev Alberts and Nebraska that they are going to make a change because they've been very clear. Hey, we are setting this whole thing up, Scott Frost. You have to make all of these assistant coaching changes. You have to shift these things because if it doesn't work, it is on you and we are giving you a longer leash than we would give with anyone else, literally anyone else. So this is on you and they would be willing to make a change. I think that's what's really tough about Iowa is it's more painful than it was last year. It is remarkable that this team won 10 games last year. Like it is a crowning achievement. It is a feat. Clearly this team is struggling if the defense doesn't physically score points for them. That is just the problem. And to not even make a quarterback change in this game, Matt Campbell has not beaten Iowa. This was his first win in the rivalry. Iowa State made it very, very painful down the stretch. Like they did not make it easy on themselves. And they still won. They still won in a rivalry that has been very lopsided lately because Iowa did not score except for the first possession. They blocked a punt and had a super, super short field. That was it. Like that is the most, that has got to be so frustrating because if you just had an average offense and not one of the worst offenses in the country, imagine how many more games you'd win. You'd obviously win this game. I mean, I think defensively and special teams, they're elite. They're elite in two of the three phases, but you can't not even be average offensively and expect to win games. Yeah, it, it, it's incredible. And, you know, Scott Dockerman will be on with us on Tuesday's show. And I, I swear I'm not going to always bring him on to talk Iowa, even though he's our Iowa beat writer. He's very well versed in all other things as well. But we're going to have to talk about that again because I, I, I just it blows my mind. I, I covered a I covered that 2013 Florida team that they had some quarterback injuries and became completely just incompetent on offense. And they had an elite defense. And you thought, like, it felt by the end of the season like the defensive players just wanted to punch all the offensive players in the face. So I'll be be curious to see how that chemistry-wise goes down. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to College Station because Jimbo Fisher is getting paid a lot of money. They have all these great recruits. They're supposed to ascend. This is maybe this year, maybe next year. They can't move the ball. The quarterback Jimbo Fisher chose, Haynes King, does not appear to be an effective quarterback. This is also a very frustrating team to watch, and I feel for the fan base, because they were thoroughly outplayed by App State in this game. I mean, not even 200 total yards of offense. I mean, they were just the third down conversions, terrible. Um, You know, time of possession more than doubled. I mean, App State fully dominated this game, deserved to win. It wasn't close. They were the better team. And listen, I went to Michigan. I had my very first game as a college football audience member was App State beating Michigan. I am well aware 
that this is a good program, that this has been a good program, that this program has beaten a lot of different teams at a lot of different levels. But to me, this is a team that almost beat North Carolina last week. You know they're good. They've yeah, been good. You shouldn't be surprised. They are not sneaking up on anyone. You're not sneaking. Yeah, you, you shouldn't be surprised. And I, I just thought, you know, Chase Bryce, you knew that you had a quarterback who's had experience at multiple Power Five programs. Like you, you knew what you were walking into or what they were walking into at Kyle Field. Yeah, Ch- Chase Bryce, so by the way, saved. Chase Bryce saved Clemson's national title season in 2018. I don't know how many people remember that, but he came into the Syracuse game when Trevor Lawrence got hurt. And yep. saved the national champion. He ain't scared of you and yell leaders no. and a and a collie that has a phone number. Can can I say too? Um, one thing that I thought was really cool was after the loss last week, which was again one of the most painful possible ways for App State to lose that upset bid. Sean Clark made a point in his post game to talk about Chase Bryce and say, like, you know, this kid has a lot of heart. You know, do not basically do not have, you know, the mistake at the end of the game. Do not hang that on him. Like, we love this kid. We He's our guy. And there was this really, really cool moment on the field that the cameras captured of him and Chase Bryce embracing, being very emotional after this game. We, sh- we saw Sean Clark being very emotional about what this win meant. I just thought that was really, really cool and a nice full circle moment from a week ago. But again, they were the better team. From yes. start to finish. And and AM just could not get anything going. And it's a huge problem. You only have the ball for 18 minutes in a game. And you just can't sustain anything. Drake May carved up Appalachian State's defense. Like yeah. three Brand starts in, starter. we know Drake we know Drake May is a really good quarterback. You're Texas AM, okay? You have access to all the great quarterbacks in Texas and given the way you've been recruiting all the great quarterbacks everywhere. How can you not get one that can carve up Appalachian State? North Carolina can. How is, how is it that A&M, we've, we've seen them have like these, this is true with Jimbo offenses, like great tight ends. And yet they always feel underutilized. Like every time they have talented skill positions, they feel underutilized. We've had questions and there's been some injuries at the quarterback position, right? But A&M is this team that there are jokes about, about them going eight and four, about them underachieving. When is it going to be the year? They have the talent. They paid all this money for the coach. They paid all this money for the resources. And it's just not improving. They're not getting better. You you just, at what point do you have to say, like something's got to change either about the way you're running the offense, how you're calling the offense, how you're recruiting something, because they're not winning games in the way that college football is won right now well and that's what so i i told i talked about this with ari on the show this week aaron murray who i, I work with on at sirius xm on the sec channel sometimes he like jimbo's offense not the offense itself but the way he coaches quarterbacks drives aaron crazy and mm. i had not seen this until aaron pointed out pointed out to me last year and now i can never unsee it like he keeps he, he makes sure to teach his quarterbacks that they always have to have the, the ball right next to their ear as they're moving around in the pocket at all times. And, and if you try to try to walk around with your hands around a football like this, it's a very awkward feeling. Now maybe I'm just Bryce, gonna do that all day all day tomorrow. Yeah, I'm just gonna like go. hold a football yeah. and walk around and but, relate to Jimbo's but, quarterbacks. Watch watch Bryce Young play, watch CJ Stroud play, watch Watch all these quarterbacks in these in these other offenses that that are very successful play. They they're not doing anything so regimented. They're just flowing kind of naturally. Like if you watch Bryce Young at the end of the game against Texas, he looked super calm, natural, comfortable. The AM quarterbacks never look comfortable. Ever. No. Can can I transition here to another subject, which also would Absolutely. be maybe a headline story in Absolutely, any other week? Yes. Please. JJ McCarthy seems to be the guy at Michigan. So you're talking about like who makes an offense look easier. I think that has become very clear through two weeks for Michigan is that the offense is way more dynamic. It is way more explosive. It comes easier and looks easier for JJ McCarthy. And I know it was Hawaii. I understand that they have not provided much resistance to anyone they have played so far this year. 63 to 10. You know what? Good for Vanderbilt. They started the season 2-0. and They went into Wake Forest. Sam Hartman was back. But yep. 
I get the level of competition thing. I get that JJ went in in garbage time. They already had a comfortable lead against Colorado State. But I just think through two weeks in a competition that Jim Jim Harbaugh kept open against inferior competition, so we would see this. Mm-hmm. It's become pretty clear that it's different. It's kind of like again, we only saw it in very brief spurts, right, against Georgia Tech with Clemson. But the offense looked easier. It came easier to Cade Klubnick. Everything just like yeah. moving forward didn't seem as difficult. And again, Cade Cade McNamara won the Big Ten. Like he, th- that offense was functional. The ceiling is different. Also, Red is here in the background in case he is. Yeah, uh, hi, hi, Red. I, I heard him getting some treats. Yeah, but so yeah, I I think you're right. And and Ari and I talked about this when Harbaugh announced it. Our initial thought was he's decided JJ's the guy. And he has set it up this way so that when he decides JJ's the, the permanent starter, it won't come as a shock to anybody. And Cade McNamara will have gotten to start the season opener. So I I, I essentially believe that. I, I don't know necessarily that I was predetermined. But I think in if you wanted it to be Cade McNamara, you handled the whole thing differently. I think you he's your guy. You probably enter fall camp and you say that. I think by keeping this open, it became clear that there's separation and we all saw it. Like it became very public, it became very obvious. So it is easy with this amount of data for Jim Harbaugh to justify JJ being the guy. So I think that's where we are. And I get it's UConn next week. I get it. I think that some of this was only possible because of the way the schedule fell for Michigan. And maybe if you're playing, you know, really good teams right out of the gate, you you pick the more experienced quarterback and make him actually the starter. I just think that. It's clear now. And again, I yeah. get the level of competition issue, but it is very clear that there is separation. I do think that is one thing that we learned on Saturday and it probably floated under the radars. There were crazy upsets everywhere else, but that is a fundamental, important development for the season. No kidding. And and as the Big Ten season goes on, could be a, a difference maker because if the offense is easier for JJ, then everything should be easier for them. So speaking of, of making the offense look easy, we let, let's talk about the game that was supposed to be the biggest game of the day was supposed to be a blowout was not. And that's Alabama and Texas. Alabama made everything look hard until really it's last two offensive possessions. When Bryce young reminded everyone, Hey, I won the Heisman last year for a reason. Like I'm, I'm pretty yeah. good at this. The 15 penalties, I think, were pretty alarming. That's it was so the Will Anderson per, late hit personal foul after after he lined up offsides three times. It was like, what the heck? Because that that's a guy who just does not make many mistakes. I was worried about him because he was such a favorite of the athletic staff and our straw poll last year. I was worried he's going to lose our Heisman vote based on you know some of these dumb. He, he had a nice sack making. at the end of the game. He did. He did. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was Bryce Young saved that game. He saved Alabama. You could tell that the way that Nick Saban was talking about him after the game that he realized that. I I I was surprised. I, they were just uncharacteristically undisciplined, um, and they I, I did not think that they were the better team. And that's really like what it, it was. Just in some of these games, even ones like this one where the result didn't go the way that the game felt and they truly escaped with a one point win. Texas looks good. Like you're seeing them take these steps and obviously Quinn Ewers got knocked out of the game, but they were right there. They could have won it. There were, there were multiple situations where they should have had extra points on the board, should have had a bigger lead. And I still am a little confused about the safety getting taken off. Cause I still think it was a safety in that situation. I know they so- rolled it an incomplete pass. No, here's that one was baffling to me. They well, they screwed it up from the jump. It should have never been called yes. roughing the passer. That Tar- was the that was where they well, screwed it up. Didn't they rule? They they said targeting. Well, targeting actually the allowed them initially? to targeting allowed to them to correct it. their mistake because you're not actually supposed to be allowed to overturn the the roughing the passer. But they came up with some fakakta excuse as to why they could overturn it because they. They went to review the targeting and realized one, it wasn't targeting, and two, it wasn't roughing the passer. But yes. the the ball hitting Overshorn's helmet was what messed up everything else. Because yes, it was probably intentional grounding, which would be a safety. 
but the ball hit yeah. the helmet, so you don't know if, if it was headed toward a receiver in the area. It did not reach the line of scrimmage, but the ball hit the helmet. Okay. I'll accept it briefly. There were other situations in that game where Texas should have had a bigger lead, should have had points on the board. Um, they missed a field goal. There were other turning points and, and missed calls in the game. But I did think that Quinn Ewers, who, again, I know he had, like, a perfect recruiting score. Like, I know he was coming mm-hmm. in with amazing amounts of hype. But I thought he lived up to it. I mean, he, he looked, great. looked great. He looked yeah. so good. And I just, I just thought there was, there was a toughness. There was um, a physicality to Texas. There was just a lot of things where I know Texas fans don't want moral victories, and this, that's not what I'm saying this was. But there was so much to be excited about that probably you haven't been excited about if you were a Texas fan. And I thought Quinn Ewers and what he looked like when he was in that game when he was healthy is absolutely number one on that list. That was, speaking of a quarterback where the offense looks easy, that's what Quinn Ewers was. Yeah, and it's a shame. I don't know. We're probably going to find out what his injury was here in the next said, few it, days. Did he say like a bruised clavicle or something, which is a bone? So I don't think it's, a, it's the collarbone. And, and that's what uh, they Joel, said sprained. Yeah, yeah, it's probably sprained AC joint. That you know, all that stuff in that area. Joel Klatt said it right on the broadcast. I think he's had that injury because he, as soon as he saw him go down on his arm. And, and have the, the weight of the defender hit him while, while his arm was stretched out. Klatt's like, oh, that's where that injury happens. And mm. it sounds like he was pretty close to right. So I, I hope we get to see Quinn Ewers again this season. I thought Hudson Carr did a good job. Now, he was banged up. He, he was hobbling around there. So, look, if Texas can play like that against UTSA and against Texas Tech and, and the t- other teams on their schedule, they're going to have a good season. The, the problem for Texas has been... They get up for these games and they get up for Oklahoma, but they don't get up for anybody else. Get up yeah. for everybody and you're going to be fine. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, think about when we we think about like these coaches that have struggled or hot seat or seats that are heating up. It's literally about beating the teams that you're supposed to. And that like that's where it happens when Texas loses to Kansas or Nebraska losing to Georgia Southern and Northwestern and like all of these other teams. It's if, if Scott Frost had just beaten the teams that Nebraska is supposed to beat every single year, A, they would have been bowl eligible before now. But also you wouldn't have the same kind of narratives. And it's the same thing with Texas. If they can beat the teams they're supposed to, they'll be okay. They'll have a good season, especially if Quinn Ewers is healthy, and which we hope he is, and hopefully he comes back. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that he does because you've got a young offensive line that's going to get better. Their D-line's old, but it, it looked physical and, and had no problem with Alabama's offensive line today. They, they looked like a very good matchup for Alabama's offensive line. So Alabama really needs to develop some receivers. This is It's weird because we've gotten so used to Alabama being so loaded at receiver that watching them without an obvious first-rounder at receiver yep. is yep. really odd. So, which, I mean, and they went, they went like... like- 40 years between first round receivers before Julio Jones. And then it was just one after the other. Well, I was going to say like the weird part about getting so used to that so quickly too, is we are also so used to this offense now. And like when Lane Kiffin helped modernize it, that wasn't that long ago. And now we're just taking for granted that they should be able to do all of these things in the passing game. And when they don't, it stands out. And I think you're absolutely right about like they, they've had multiple first round talent at receiver um, or at least one. And, and to just not have that obvious guy again, Bryce young won this game for them and he's going to probably do that again. He won the Heisman, but it's just a very interesting dynamic. And I think the, the O line wasn't what we're used to seeing out of the offensive line. There was just like multiple things, especially again, the penalties that just did not feel like we are used to seeing out of Alabama, which uncharacteristic. Again, Nick Saban, uncharacteristic. And Nick Saban has been teeing off about the rat poison. Like, I, I kind of feel like he knew that this team wasn't the way that we all thought they were. And he's probably loving a, that they escaped oh, yeah. the win, but they have lots of things he can get on them about now. Well, that, that was really similar to their Florida game last year. 
where they they won by two against a team that was was clearly not very good. So it's they came back from that and wound up winning the SEC. Hi, Red Auerbach. How are we doing? Yeah, he's he's squeaking. Um, I think he also thinks that you know Alabama's got some concerns. He oh, yeah. felt like he needed to chime in there. But Absolutely. Well, yeah, for everyone watching we the video, you get to see the little guy. We'll be right back after these words. Before we talk a little Notre Dame, uh, some news from the Athletics' Austin Meek, who's at the, the press conference following the Michigan-Hawaii game. J.J. McCarthy will start against UConn. That's right. Nicole got it. Mm. Boom. Mm. Mm. Shocker. Yeah. Shocker. It's, it's almost mm. like it was you know planned what? that way. You know what? He's going to mm. have a good day against UConn next week as well. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Speaking of which, uh, Jaron Hall having a decent day. He just threw a touchdown pass. BYU has taken a lead against Baylor. They've been tied at 13 in the third quarter. So, uh, And Mississippi State up on Arizona as they go to the half. So, yes, we're still watching the games because this day this day is ne- never going to end, I don't think, Nicole. It's, it's just wild. All right, let's talk South Bend. On any other day, Marshall, the thundering herd, going to South Bend and beating Notre Dame would have been the biggest story of the day. But it was not. Oh, Jaron Hall caught the touchdown. Look at that. I, I wasn't even. I just assumed he threw it. This is what I get for reading the Love chat that. when I should be watching the game. So, well, all right. So, Notre Dame now 0-2. Marcus Freeman 0-3 as a head coach. He says it starts with him. But this is when it... Everybody was so happy. They they acted like, okay, it's it's no problem that Brian Kelly left. We like this guy better. He recruits better. All the good assistants stayed with him. Mm-hmm. Are they still happy? Oh, this is a tough one. Okay, so Marcus Freeman is 0-3 since becoming the head coach. And there have been very frustrating situations that happen in each of these games, right? Blown leads. Um kind of the way that things fell apart and they allowed Ohio state to take over in the second half last week. And then whatever this was, which was just putrid all around. I mean, it was, they were getting pushed around by Marshall. Um, Tommy Reese didn't call a great game. There were just a lot of reasons to be frustrated. I, I feel like it's tough because people are pointing out that Brian Kelly had some bad losses. But when he took over the Notre Dame program, it was in a totally different place. Like there isn't supposed to be a drop off. And I think that that's where you can absolutely be concerned when you look at this team, when you look at the, when you look at like the weaknesses, right? If you look on the offensive line or you look at like maybe what Tyler Buckner is as a limited quarterback and what he is, what his ceiling is. When you look at the fact that, yes, you have one of the best tight ends in the entire country, but that can't be your only offensive weapon because other people will then still beat you. Like Those are concerning parts about this and the way that they've lost some of these games. I get it. It's only three, but no Notre Dame coach has ever started 0-3. Yeah, and here's the other thing about Notre Dame. We haven't really talked about this, but this is something we should keep in mind. If Notre Dame falls back into Charlie Weiss, Ty Willingham level records, Notre Dame's going to have to join a conference. Like Notre Dame has the luxury of staying independent because Notre Dame continues to be relevant. If they don't continue to be you think, relevant, you think they're gonna you think they're gonna fall off and not be relevant? I don't know. I mean, even with like a transition, I'm not, here, I'm not just, saying I, that's going to happen. I'm saying they got to they got to guard against that. So they got to get this fixed, whatever it is. You can't be losing to Marshall. Ohio State and Oklahoma State losses, fine. Like, those are very good teams. Understandable. But we need to start seeing what the Marcus Freeman era is going to actually look like. And maybe this is what it's actually going to look like. But my guess is it's better than this. You've seen the way they've recruited. They've got a, a very highly rated recruiting class coming in for the class of 2023. So perhaps this is just a little hiccup and we've, we've seen coaches start slow before, but like you said, this program was in a really good place when he took over. So it shouldn't be this hard. And if 
Buckner's not getting it done at quarterback. Maybe you go to Drew Pine. I know he had, he had to play at the end of the game because Buckner was banged up. If if you don't think you have the quarterback, though, and this is a this is something you gotta, that you got to get you got to get the quarterback. You got to go get one either through the portal or or in recruiting. And like this is this is like the Iowa thing. And I know Iowa tried to to sneak you know swipe a quarterback, get a transfer a little bit, but. They didn't try that hard, and there were other quarterbacks who were actually in the portal that they could have tried to get. They didn't. Notre Dame, maybe maybe you should have been looking around too. Now, I realize transferring to Notre Dame is a little bit different story, that they don't have the, the luxury of being able to take everybody, but they've taken grad transfers like Jack Cohn before. So, I don't know. It, it just It is strange to me. I... I liked Buckner's ability to run, and I, I thought that that added a nice dimension to the offense. But if they're if they're not going to be able to throw, you've got to. Well, and he he was, he also can't be the only one who can run. I mean, this is the this is part of the concern I think with the offensive line is people thought that it would be a strength, or at least that it would not be a weakness. And so, and again, I think too there's going to be questions, and uh, you know, Pete Sampson will do a great job parsing through the game that was called right and like the way that they that Tommy Reese played this game as well um you know I don't know I I also think that clearly this was part of a trend in a day where teams that we thought might be good entering the season kind of came back down to earth a little bit maybe we learned that there is more balance than just power five versus group of five and some of these like kind of you know, bright lines that we we label people as with the Sun Belt having three wins out of the Sun Belt East. So I think that there was a couple of different things that and that are going to end up kind of maybe overshadowing Notre Dame specific issues, which is to your point that this wasn't the main headline of the day because of AM, because of App State, because of all these other things that happened. Um, but yeah, I think I think that, you know, Notre Dame fran- fans are, you know, now we're three games into the Marcus Freeman era and there are certain problems that have their head. Well, let, let's talk about the the commonality between th- three of the huge games that we're talking about, and that is the Sun Belt. The, this conference was number ten out of ten in the FBS not long ago. They have done an incredible job of making that league better, and they didn't do it in the way that you everyone said you had to do it. Nobody was looking at TV markets. Nobody's looking at anything. The Sun Belt, when they were looking at potential new members, they asked one question. Do your people care about football deeply? And if the answer is yes, then they took you. And, and you look at look at who they've added over these last few rounds of realignment. Georgia Southern, Appalachian State, uh, Coastal Carolina joined. Now you've got Marshall. Marshall. You've got James Madison coming in, which has been a great FCS program. You know, Old Dominion. Which beat Virginia Tech last week. I mean, that's, and then you add, you know, Louisiana Lafayette being very good over the last few years. Troy has had its years where it's been very good. This is a great league and a fun, fun league. Yeah, and um, Chris Vanini is in the chat, and he pointed out that all the three big Sun Belt wins were former FCS teams and programs, right? Great that, that built, former FCS built programs. Yeah, great FCS programs. And Chris wrote about this too, Andy, when you were talking about like the way that they've built and added, they've also stayed very regional, which is also unusual in this day and age. And Chris wrote a story a few weeks ago about like getting rid of divisions and people were thinking of this and they were like, no, we're staying, we're keeping our our rivalries, we're keeping our regional ties. So I like that they think about this stuff differently. And like, these are programs. These are not flash in the pan places. These are programs that have sustained even when there've been coaching changes. Like that's one of the more impressive things I think about App State is how many different head coaches and different coaches who have come yeah. through Boone and they've still stayed at such a high level and won at whatever level they're in. So like these are programs that they have added, not teams that have had one or mm-hmm. two good seasons. Like there is clear investment and development that has endured and these also have been places where like coaches have been able to have launching pads because they are successful and then they stay successful and then the next coach can be launched into a bigger job too that's exactly right uh let's let's 
let's move to the Big Ten and the well, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, because Max Olson, our colleague, has said Washington State's going to be the the most fun team to watch this year. They're actually not like I thought their offense would be a little more high powered than what we've seen against Idaho and Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's defense is usually pretty good, and mm-hmm. the Cougs go in there into Madison and beat Wisconsin. Nikia Watson, former Badger with two TDs. This this transfer portal where somebody can just come back and bite you in the ass immediately is awesome. I love that part. It adds it adds it adds a layer. Um, remember when coaches you know were able to block transfers and they could block I players. Know. Now Watson's been with Washington State since twenty twenty one, so he was there last year. But yes, but they but there there were some coaches who would do it for like the entirety of that person's eligibility or like whatever, yeah. right? Like there were there was, name was a Bill lot of Snyder. people who did not who did not want this specific situation to have a possibility of happening. And we've seen it a lot. We have seen it happen quite a bit. We've seen quarterbacks do it. Um, it's, it's definitely adds a wrinkle. And I, I just, I was so surprised by Wisconsin. Not that again, I think they were picked in, I think want to say like the big 10 writers poll or whatever to win the West. I didn't think that they were necessarily overwhelming favorites. I thought the West was pretty open. I mean, I think Minnesota's yeah. got a chance here and, Purdue nearly beat Penn State and and could still factor in in that West race. But Iowa's defense and special teams have a chance that their offense doesn't. But yeah, if they could, I, I was I tweeted about this. I was like, can they borrow a little bit of Nebraska's offense and can Nebraska take a little bit of Iowa's defense? I think like both of those just, teams would be so much better. Just fold the two teams in to each other. I just think they need ten percent, and I think they would win so many <laughs> more games if they had ten percent of each other's offense and defense. But like, I thought that Wisconsin again. You're still banking on Graham Mertz taking a step. You're still banking on certain growth. But I was surprised that they lost this game, even with those improvements and those those plugins from the portal. Um, I I was very surprised by this result in Camp Randall. Yeah, I I thought Washington State would cover, but it was like a 17 and a half point spread. I wasn't expecting them to go in there and win outright. But Jake Dickerson, a really good job. I mean, think about this. Yep. A year ago, Nick Rolovich was still the coach and was headed toward a firing over the COVID vaccination. And you were like, what's going to happen with these guys? Because they were playing pretty well before they fired Rolovich. And Dicker came in there and I feel like they never, never even took a, a step back at all. No, and he obviously won the job. I think that people probably would not have expected that if you had said this job was going to open, you know, who would, who would get it. I think also they lost like half of their assistant coaching staff in that whole debacle as well. Um, yes. And so they were, they were doing this understaffed and in like a very tense situation where I'm sure there were players who were upset about what had happened. I mean, there was just so much going on. So I agree. Remarkable job. Um, also, did you see that incarnate word? Also got a win on Saturday. They were one of the two FCS over FBS upsets because there were upsets at every level of college football on Saturday. So you had Incarnate Word beat Nevada. You had Holy Cross yep. beat Buffalo on a Hail Mary. Uh, it was it was crazy. But yeah, it was just like a very like uh, Cam Ward day overall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, I'm very excited to see what they do in Pac-12 after dark because- yes. I think they they are going to be a lot of fun, like Max Olson said. Um, now, we can talk before we talk about the game I covered. Let, let's do go out west because Ari Wasserman has been texting me all night. You know, we have this bet that I owe him a thousand bucks if USC makes the college football playoff in the next three years, and, and he owes he owes me a thousand if they don't. And what are you he guys doing? The Stanford game. What what? That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but you know, I'm going to win it. So I'm not worried about losing it. Okay. All right there. But he's convinced that because they put 40 up on Stanford, that they're no one's going to stop them all season, that they're just going to roll through everyone they play. I think Marshall had something to do with that too, but 
Well, okay. Actually, also, I just wanted to point out, we did have a correction in the comments. There were other FCS over FBS upsets. Forgot to mention uh, the seven overtime game, Eastern yes, Kentucky. Yes, that's right. Bowling Eastern Green. Kentucky. Go Colonels. Uh, Weber State. Weber State. Weber State. Weber State. Weber State. Weber State beat, beat over Utah, Utah State. State. Pounded Utah State. So transitive property, which we thought that they would take a step back. They won the Mountain West last year, but like they had certain transfers and seniors coming back last year's team. But transitive property makes us maybe a little bit more concerned with Alabama. Maybe if we're taking like Notre Dame's loss to make us more concerned about Ohio State. So there's some transitive property stuff. But I thought that USC's offense looked great. Caleb Williams looked great. They were super, yep. super fun. I have some questions about the defense. I know they've had a lot of takeaways on the season, but like Stanford's easy running right for through Stanford. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I listen, Stanford is not what they used to be. This is not the Stanford team that was dominating the Pac 12 a few years ago. So I, I need to see USC against some other teams before I'm ready to believe or have any fear whatsoever that I'm going to worry some money. That's I just don't. I, but Baylor has responded. Ben Sims with a touchdown catch. It is now 20 to 20. That game uh, hurtling toward the finish about 10 minutes to go. I don't know, Nicole, if we're going to make it quite to, to the end of that game, but I will uh, I will put a tag on the show if, uh, if we need to uh, evaluate any craziness that, that might have happened. But let's talk about the game I was at tonight. I was in the swamp for Kentucky and Florida, and I guess, unfortunately, I'm going to have to rescind Anthony Richardson's Week 1 Heisman. Um, he can visit with Kenny Hill in the Hall mm-hmm. of Rescinded Week 1 Heismans. Uh, tough night. For, for Anthony Richardson. It started out okay for Florida. Kentucky was making a lot of mistakes. Kentucky's offensive line was struggling to block Florida's defensive line. Will Levis took a couple big shots. Uh, there there was a, uh, Florida was gifted a safety when Kentucky's punter, or uh, long snapper sailed a snap over the punter's head. It looked for a minute there like Florida was going to be able to take control. What really turned around the game is in the second quarter, Jordan Wright, who's an outside linebacker for Kentucky. He he missed last week with a suspension. He made one of the more incredible interceptions you will ever see because he, he was rushing Richardson. He was not in coverage. And so Richardson sees him, but figures he'll just kind of throw it over him, throw it through him. Wright reaches his left hand out and gets his fingertips on the ball and then squeezes and suddenly the ball is in his hand. I don't know how that happened. We asked him after the game. He's not even sure how that happened. But he got it, and he ran and got tackled on the six-yard line. Kentucky cashes it in for a touchdown. Um, and it was a much different game after that. It felt like Anthony Richardson was rattled after that play. And there there was there had been another play earlier in the second quarter where – the hole had opened up nicely for Anthony Richardson. He runs through the middle. Jacquez Jones, the Kentucky linebacker, is standing there and just drills Richardson, just puts him on on his back. And the thinking, like, when you watched him and it was like, oh, the Utah guys didn't do that. This was a, a really good Kentucky defense. Everybody was super pissed that Roman Harper had called them soft on the SEC network. And they... <laughs> were determined that no one would believe that after the game. Yeah, I thought they were really impressive. Um, special teams, I have some questions about. Um, and some of those snaps, you mentioned one of them. I thought, though, that that game could have easily gotten out of control. I think that it could have easily careened into Utah rolling over. I'm sorry, Florida rolling over mm-hmm. Kentucky. The game was at the Swamp. I mean, it was, again, one of these amazing atmospheres that we've seen now two weeks in a row there. But I thought defensively they were really, really tough. I thought – and Will Levis obviously had that great, like, 60 yards in the air throw. But yeah. I, I thought, like, you saw a lot of what these NFL scouts talk about when they talk about Will Levis. You, you see, like, a lot of the maturity and the growth in his game. Um, I, I just thought it was a really hard-earned win for Florida and to do it on the road. Like, you're, you, you open the show by saying, like, to 
for, for Kentucky to be beating Florida regularly, that is just a very weird world that we are in. And, and obviously certainly says a lot about what Mark Stoops has built, but they were coming into this. This was the team that we thought coming into the season was the best Kentucky team that we've seen in a while. They came in with these preseason rankings and this hype and all this stuff that we hadn't seen out of this program in a long time. And we all got enamored in Florida and what we saw last week and you, you know, the week one Heisman and everything we saw at Anthony oh, yeah. Richardson. But I think this was a statement for Kentucky to say, no, like we have built this. We are not going anywhere. And we are that team that you thought we are really good defensive team, really tough. We're going to be super physical. We're going to make it really, really hard to get any yardage. And like you saw that with Anthony Richardson himself, that he could not get anything going. Because he had four rushing yards, four. So, so to put this in perspective, Kentucky went from 1987 to 2017 without beating Florida. They, they have now beaten Florida three times in the last five years. And this is the first time they've won two in a row against Florida since 1976 and 1977. And this isn't one of those weird made up stats where they didn't play. They've played every year. Like mm. that was, it, it is a big deal. And by the way, Mark Stoops, congratulations to him because he breaks Bear Bryant's record for all-time wins at Kentucky. So also puts Steve Spurrier in another place in the record book because Bear Bryant was the all-time winningest coach at Kentucky and Alabama, but now he's only the all-time winningest coach at Alabama. And Steve Spurrier now the all-time winningest coach at Florida and South Carolina. So he's the only one who's the all-time winningest coach at two SEC programs. I think anything, anytime you beat Bear Bryant in something or pass him in a record book, usually right. a good sign. Yeah. yeah. And and big week for Mark Stoops, by the way. So a son of Youngstown, Ohio. Now, the Stoops brothers went to Iowa to play football, but they are sons of Youngstown, Ohio, and the Youngstown State Penguins are coming to Lexington next mm. week. And uh, Mitch Barnhart was standing in the back of the press conference room, and, and Mark Stoops was, was asked about that game next week. And he said, uh, he said, oh, a lot of Youngstown's coming. I don't, I don't think Mitch is going to be ready for this. So, it, and it's funny because it would have been kind of perfect to for him to break that record against Youngstown State, against his hometown team. But this is probably more fitting and more accurate to describe what he's done at Kentucky. The fact is, when he got the job, the idea of even sniffing a win against Florida was just a pipe dream. And here they are beating them two years in a row, three of the last five. Like this is this is a program that expects to be at the top of the SEC East, expects to compete with Georgia. We'll see if they can or not. But I, I just you hear Ari and I gush a lot about Mark Stoops, say he's got the best job in America. He's really good. Yeah, I I it's not just like handed to you as the best job in America, you make it the best job in America. Yeah, he absolutely you build made it that, that way. job security. Um, I I know this isn't winning at the same level, but I want to make sure that before we ever end this podcast, that we give these specific shout outs because one of the things that I love about Kentucky and the story and what Mark Stoops has done is that it goes it bucks against tradition and it, it goes against like a history of not having that success. And so I put this in the dock, need to get need to get it out. We talked a little bit All about right. Kansas. They beat West Virginia. So Kansas is 2-0. and Rutgers is 2-0. and Syracuse is 2-0. and Duke wow. is 2-0. and That is cool. That is just it really is. cool. And like, I love that there is a season where all of these teams that are historically not very good at college football are 2-0. and Well, and also, that Kansas win in overtime in the rain against West Virginia. Are, did Stuart Mandel speak this into existence? Remember, he predicted three Big 12 wins this season for Kansas. Oh, he must be really cocky right now. And th by the way, they play like, Duke. They got a Duke game coming up, too. Hey, Duke is better. Duke is good. Duke, Duke looked great against Northwestern. They looked great. They you got a little dicey towards the end, but they have looked great. Um, oh, I, before, before we get too far away from Florida, Kentucky, I do want to shout out 
one of the greatest names in college football because he was outstanding in the second half of that game. Cavassier Smoke, the running back from Kentucky, was out. Remember, Chris Rodriguez suspended. He's a six-yard-a-carry guy. And Cavassier Smoke was running into walls for a half on Saturday night and then just kept going and kept going. And, and that offensive line got better as the game went on. And so congratulations to Cavassier Smoke, uh, who my first experience with him was in 2020. I covered the Kentucky-Auburn game at Jordan-Hare. Smoke Monday was playing for Auburn, and I posited that if Smoke Monday were to ever tackle Cavassier Smoke, it would mean that a new pope had been selected. I was going to say, does, does, is there like an SEC bylaw that someone needs to be named Smoke on one of the teams because it's just too good of a football Listen, name to, to not? The SEC has Cavassier Smoke, which is his real name. It's birth certificate mm-hmm. name. But in terms of nicknames, they got Rocket Sanders at Arkansas. They got Squirrel White at Tennessee. They got Kool-Aid McKinstry at Alabama. It's a good year and, for nicknames in the SEC. And real name, Bumper Pool. Or, or is that a nickname? Is Bumper oh, no, that's his real name. <laughs> I was going to say it's listed as that in his bio. So I, I hope yeah. it's his real name. No, that's they his real name. And names, apparently but- his dad in, enjoyed the game of Bumper Pool. <laughs> I love it. But there, there are some really great names. Um, but I like the idea that there's like always a smoke. Like there's someone yes. who, you know, you could say like, you don't want that smoke. Oh yeah. Any year, any given year in the SEC. It's, it's tremendous. Nicole, how do we recover from this? Like we're going to have a lot of storylines through the week. I, I, the frost thing, let's talk about that. Cause you, you mentioned this at the top of the show. Do you really think they'd spend seven and a half million dollars to fire him three weeks earlier? No, I don't. I was but do you really I think joking. they really want to probably Well, that's what like that's what I'm saying like can you really endure 3 more weeks of not moving in a positive direction, doing the same things that you've been doing, losing the same painful ways that you have. It's been embarrassing, it's been difficult, it's not been great I imagine as a player to live through this. Um you know, I mean, these players have to get up there after the game and, and try to explain something that they're doing their best. They're trying their best. I mean, like, this is on the coaching staff. This is on the head coach. I feel like if they could have, or if the buyout wasn't changing so dramatically so soon on October 1st, I mean, wouldn't you have done it on the way back from Ireland? You you lost a game exactly the same way that you lost yeah, all I would have left games. him in Ireland. Yeah. But you couldn't, and now you're three weeks away, and and you're it's, you know, it's very weirdly poetic, of course, that it's you know it's it's week two and it's Clay Helton, and you know he was a midseason firing himself at USC, and this may be you know kind of that final nail in the coffin. But you know, I mean, it's the bio goes in half in three weeks. Like you're gonna have yeah. to hang well, in. Well, I don't for think months. they can beat Indiana on that day. Now, here's the question: Did you just fire him at like? mid 12.01 a.m. and not even let him coach Before, against Indiana? Or not let him coach the game against Indiana? I mean, that would not be fair to the players. You're not going to do that. I think you go through that game. Oh, he's got a suspension to serve too, doesn't he? That is a good question. Does it have to be a conference game? Is that what's happening? No, no. It's 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 like four days, and it can be during an off week. So they, they have an open date mm. thanks to playing in week zero. But, yeah, I... I don't know. I, I, I I'm pretty think, sure. I his- just think we're we're headed for a couple of very awkward weeks where I think all parties. I, I'm just pretty sure he has that. Going. I'm pretty sure he has that clause in his contract that says he has to be the head coach or 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 you just have to pay him his buyout because I I think if he doesn't and this is something that Trev Alvarez might need to look into like he could Milton Wadhams him he could put him in the sub sub basement and take his stapler. You- you, you said, what are we going to do to like kind of unwind from this weekend? I think you personally are going to look up Scott Frost's contract and read through it and try to figure out if they can make him a janitor. Oh, Nicole, I was trying to read to through it during the commercials to see if I could find that clause, but I just some light, just some light reading late night, Saturday, you know, coming off of a crazy day of upsets, just casually looking up, you know, buyout language. Wouldn't that be amazing if Scott Frost is like sitting in the basement of the Hawks Center and like, Scott, 
if you sit here, we're going to give you seven and a half million dollars on October 1st. If you if you leave voluntarily, you get nothing. And Scott Frost is just like, I had a I had a swing line and uh, and took my stapler. It was a it was a swing line. And then eventually he's talking about putting strychnine in the guacamole. I mean, come on. I think that this is a pipe dream of yours that is not going to happen, but I will support you emotionally as you go through this process of looking at the contract. I, I mean, I think all of Nebraska needs to know this because these, these people are frustrated. Like, but I, I think, Oh, there's red. Yeah. We we're getting a lot of show us the dog questions in the chat i know i listened even though it was being demanded it was was very demanding from travis who who would not stop asking but now now he's seen the dog uh he is he's seen i I would bring my dog in but she is sound asleep and she would be very mad if i uh if i grabbed her now so but this is uh this is going to be a really interesting and awkward next three weeks in lincoln because you know what's going to happen like it, there's nothing he can do at this point, and it's really just going to be seven and a half million dollars if you can survive three weeks of awkwardness. And that's a lot of money. That's a big incentive to do it, and I, I, it, it's it's unbelievably awkward. And obviously, they started in week zero, so this got started a week earlier, but it's. You know, it's just one of those situations. You're in a really tough spot. And again, I don't advocate for midseason coach changes. I, I think in a lot of cases, they are unnecessary, especially some of the ones that are like pretty late in the year. But I, in this case, like, I just think it's more fair to the players to make a change, try to do something. They, they just keep making the same mistakes and losing these games in the same way. And it's just inexcusable for North, for Nebraska's defense to give up over 600 total yards of offense in a game. That's well, and they overhauled the offense. They didn't, yeah, they didn't touch the defense. Like, how did, and you knew you were losing some players on defense. So, and that defense was good last year, but it is, uh, it is truly amazing. Jimbo Fisher, by the way, his buyout almost 90 million. So don't feel so bad, Huskers. You're about to get a bargain. This is why athletic directors need to negotiate a little bit better in these deals. They're well. so bad at it. It's lopsided. Jimbo Fisher, Brian Kelly, James Franklin, Mel Tucker. You ain't getting out of those deals if you're mad about them. You can get as mad as you want. That's Those are your coaches. <laughs> so you better, you better love them. Yep, guaranteed money. And like this is... Again, like these places and donors and all these people, like, well, you know, it's a twenty million dollar buyout, and you need to do it for Willie Taggart or whatever. People are finding that money, right? But yeah, these are these are bad financial deals. These these ads get fleeced in a lot of cases, and um, it it really does limit what you're able to do. I mean, think about why Scott Frost came back this season. It was over the seven and a half million dollars, and again. They gave him a long leash. He is the, you know, the favorite son, favorite child or fair-headed child, whichever metaphor I'm trying yes. to think of. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it is dollars and cents. And if you didn't put yourself in these situations or if Bill Moose didn't extend Scott Frost when he hadn't accomplished anything, you're not in these situations in the first place. So yes. that's just my... When no one is rant. trying to hire your head coach away... Don't give him any more money. We'll start with yes. that. That's a nice, simple rule to follow, a nice rule of thumb. If no one is actively trying to hire your head coach, you don't have to give him any more money. He won't leave. Yes. So don't do don't it. Negotiate against, don't negotiate against yourself for no reason. That is a good lesson to come out of this weekend. I think the other thing is to celebrate the Sun Belt because yes. as – you know, someone who covers the college football playoff and all of the developments around expansion, it can be exhausting to think about the sport in a prism through the playoff only. And so I love that we are spending a Saturday night at almost two in the morning 
talking about the Sunbelt and the success that the Sunbelt East has had and these programs and the way that they added them and App State sustained success and all of these things, Marshall's history, that stuff matters. And we should come out of this weekend appreciative that these types of games and these upsets happen. And that like, that is what we love about college football Saturdays, not knowing that we would come out of this weekend talking about the Sunbelt. I, I love it too. I love that it is 1.30 in the morning on the East Coast. I am watching BYU and Baylor knock the crap out of one another, and they're still tied, and there's just two and a half minutes to go. What a sport. What a sport, Nicole. Thank the you best. so much. We will see you on Thursday. or Well, you and I will see each other on Thursday as we record Friday's show. There will be... Uh, some Bijan Mustardson consumer. Oh, I'm glad so. you have it now. So I also I have do. mine. I will have. I'm not going to have the whole bottle, but I will make a turkey sandwich and eat it while you guys eat your that, bottles let, of mustard. Well, you and Ari are going to need to talk while I consume mustard. So that's okay. That's, deal. All right. It's a pleasure, guys. Who has it better than us? Well, maybe JJ McCarthy because now he's starting, but nobody. Jim Harbaugh would say nobody. He said that he basically played a perfect game, and that's how he got the starting job. So, I think that I think that Jim uh, Jim Harbaugh is feeling pretty good as well about that. That's exactly right. So, you know, Red Auerbach is feeling the best, but that's that's really neat to hear. Thanks so much. We will talk to you again soon.